For today, we are carrying on our series called The Story of Us. Uh, As we head out of the pandemic into this brave new world, uh, what does it look like to refresh, to rebuild our relationships? Because if we are honest, many of our relationships have taken a real hammering over the last couple of years, in addition to all the other stuff uh, in the pandemic. And today, as has been mentioned, we are looking at marriage. Every week, we've had some ancient wisdom uh, that we're kind of rooting it in from the book of Proverbs. Uh, And today, uh, we're kind of looking at this proverb. It's going to be on the screen together. Here it is, Proverbs 18, verse 22. And then we're going to be building on this by looking at a very complex, controversial, and amazing passage, 1 Corinthians 7. But this is the proverb. Here it is. The man who finds a wife finds a treasure. And he receives favor from the Lord. Obviously, that's written in a context of the ancient world where it was the men who found a wife. But you could flip that round and say a woman who finds a man, a husband finds a treasure. She receives favor from the Lord. It hints, doesn't it, at some of the blessings of marriage. Treasure, favor. But whether we are married or not... We all know that alongside the blessings, there are also huge complexities and challenges. How do we navigate this well? Now, as we get into this, I want to make a few introductory comments by way of setting context for where we're going today. The first is this. I am not an expert. I am a fellow traveler. What I'm going to be sharing are a collection of observations from my own life, observing other people's lives, observing the culture around us, and of course, from the Bible. The second thing is this. I know, we all know, that this is a very painful area for many of us for so many differing reasons. If I say something this morning that comes out wrong or could have been clearer, please do hear my heart. This is a place, Riverside is a church family, of grace, safety, forgiveness, and hope. Not judgment or critique. And thirdly, therefore, there is always a difficult balance when you're talking about things like marriage, our most intimate relationships. Some of us need this morning to hear words of real comfort and care. And others of us may need to hear some words of challenge. Can I encourage you to honestly work out which do you need to hear today? And then not to get sideswiped by the other. Because if you're anything like me, for those who sometimes need to hear words of comfort, get completely poleaxed by the challenge. And for those who might need a bit of a challenge, rest easy in the comfort. Be honest with where you're at with all of this. And my aim, fourthly, is hopefully to be helpful for everyone. Not just those who are married, including those of us who are single, those of us who are not married, those of us who are not yet married, those of us who have been married. We need each other as a church family. 
regardless of your status. And so if all that I say this morning isn't particularly appropriate for you, it is a way to learn to serve others as sisters, as brothers. We need each other with the joys and challenges of all our relationships. And so fifthly, by way of introduction, I'm not this morning considering the nature of marriage. So, for example, questions around same-sex marriage, uh, we're not thinking about today. However, we have got some evenings coming up in early July where we're going to have some Sunday evenings to discuss together here at Riverside House and on Zoom. More information will be coming over the coming weeks. And finally, by way of introduction, uh, it's worth saying that this talk this morning on marriage sits hand in hand with one or two others as well. Next week, Judy is going to be particularly looking at singleness. Do gather together at home with friends or come here to explore those really important issues. And then in the future, on the 26th of June, put this in your diary, we're going to look specifically at the whole subject of sex, which of course goes hand in hand with this week as well. So that's it by way of introduction, okay? And as I begin, I do want to acknowledge the beauty that it is to be church, that within our church family, there are some marriages who've weathered some real storms and have done decades. And we want to celebrate and say thank you. Uh, there's a number who are celebrating at the moment. I want to particularly acknowledge Nick and Lois Cuthbert, who are celebrating at the moment 50 years of marriage and ministry. Isn't that amazing? We love you guys, and we're so thankful to God for you and all that you bring to the life of Riverside and have brought over the decades alongside many others. But there's one other couple that I want to reference today. Uh, that is Margaret and Arthur Wilkes, who can't be here today because they are celebrating right now their 60th wedding anniversary. As a result, I met with them this week, and I asked them to give some tips and some wisdom on how to have a long and enduring marriage. This is what they said. I'm Margaret Wilkes and Nee Waddle. Nee Waddle, yes. Yeah. Well, I'm Arthur well, Wilkes. I'm Margaret Wilkes and Nee Waddle. Nee Waddle, yes. yes. And um, we have been married for 60 years, years on Thursday. Yeah, the 19th of May. At 2.30. I think the first thing is patience. Um, for lots of different situations, things are to rise, and getting through it together talking yeah. it over, trying to get to a conclusion that suits both of us, um, and perhaps that's the hardest part. I think that um, a successful marriage, a lot of words end in ing, such as loving, caring, thinking, forgiving. As Margaret said, you have to talk things out. And the other thing is compatibility, because we are so unalike in a lot of, lot of things, lots of ways. So you should always really 
consider the other person, whatever you're doing. Um, and one thing that keeps us going, the love that we felt and the passion that we felt when we first married has now, it's changed to friendship, warmth. And forgiveness, I find that um, as, as the years go on, um, and particularly like this, this episode with Arthur's illness, um, things diminish. They're not. They're just not so important. And and I think um, you know the main thing is not not to dwell on situations, circumstances too much and just carry on with life and see how it treats you, how it goes and what you can do. Yes, and we've always yeah. had a policy between us that let bygones be husbands. Don't keep going back saying you did that and I did this. It doesn't help. And that's one of the things to do that. So be loving, be caring, be trusting, be truthful just things you should do for a long marriage. Isn't that brilliant? I love what Margaret said, getting through it together, talking it over, trying to get to a conclusion that suits both of us. Perhaps that's the hardest part. I think the Apostle Paul in the New Testament would agree with Margaret. Because alongside the proverb that we've looked at earlier, there is another passage we're going to be unpicking together, and that is 1 Corinthians 7. Can I encourage you to read this chapter? If you've got it on your app, got your Bibles with you, have a look right now, read it at home. Uh, because we're going to read several chunks together this morning. But in a sense, Paul's words can be summarized by two verses that are on the screen. Here they are. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them to them, just as God has called to them, called them. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. Paul is telling them that the Christian faith changes how we see marriage. For believers, it radically impacts our view of marriage. Because the reality is that marriage is hard. And so he outlines, I think, three particular pressure points about marriage that apply to us today. And we're going to look at these three. Here they are. The first is sex and marriage. The second is our attitude to marriage. And the third is our posture within marriage. Sex, our attitude, and our posture. That's where we're going this morning. So we're starting with sex. Typical, you might think. But we start here because Paul starts here. Because the Corinthian Christians in Greece have asked Paul a specific question. This letter that we're reading, 1 Corinthians 7, is a response from Paul to a letter that the Corinthian church has sent to him. One of their questions about sex and marriage. Here it is. Verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 7. Paul says, Now for the matters you wrote about... Quotes, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. What seems to have been happening in the church in Corinth is that lots of people from lots of different backgrounds have become followers of Jesus. 
each with different ideas and different experiences of marriage. And with their newfound freedom in Jesus, it seems that some of them were therefore sort of questioning earthy things like sex and marriage, as though they were somehow a little bit icky or even a little bit less spiritual than the weighty things of following Jesus. And perhaps because they thought Jesus was kind of coming back tomorrow, or simply because sex and marriage just seems a little bit kind of, I don't know, normal and unspiritual, they asked Paul, should they abandon marriage and stop sex? That context is really important, friends, as you read 1 Corinthians 7, because this passage has been abused to justify all sorts of horrors. Paul's reply is very clear indeed. As a single man, Paul says this, verses 2 to 7. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, i.e. single. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. What's striking is that Paul insists on radical equality and mutuality within marriage. Speaking to both husband and wife, we forget the radical nature of this. Rather than just husbands getting their way, as was the culture, the initiative, the pleasure, the desires of both husband and wife need to be lived out in a context of radical mutuality. And so the implications of this are very clear. There is no place for unwarranted denial of sex within marriage unless it's mutually agreed and for a specific purpose, says Paul. But this is where it is so important, friends, to be really honest. You don't need me to explain how this section has been so abused throughout history and still today. May I suggest, friends, if when you heard those words or you read these words, your immediate reaction is to go to say to your spouse, see, you owe me, you have completely misunderstood what Paul is saying. This is not meant to be used as some sort of threat for people to demand what they should get in marriage. <laughs> This is actually meant to prompt mutual, careful, loving thought about putting your spouse first. Sadly, it has been used and twisted 
for people to demand certain things in marriage. Paul does have something to say about uncaring, unwarranted denial of sex. But the contrasting demand of sex is totally wrong. Why? Well, Paul spells it out. Your body doesn't belong to you anymore. Marriage is not about getting what you want. Now, we're going to say more about this on Sunday, the 26th of June. You might want to put the date in your diaries as we look further at the whole subject of sex. But I do want to say something to every woman, every man here. Your desires are important. And for those who shudder when those words were read because of things that have been said to you or even done to you, I am so, so sorry. We long for Riverside to be a supportive community that honestly loves each other, walking with each other in the deepest and most intimate pain. But if sex wasn't complex enough, there's something else that Paul wants to say. Moving on from sex within marriage, he then wants to draw our attention to our attitudes to marriage. Now, now it probably won't surprise you that the marriage rates in the UK are at their lowest level since 1862. Did you know that? According to the Times newspaper, the number of opposite-sex marriages has fallen by 50% since their peak in 1972. And just a quick Google search, do it later on, Google jokes about marriage and see if you can find anyone that is positive. And at first glance, it might seem as you read 1 Corinthians 7 that he agrees with you. Listen to verse 8. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But as you unpack what Paul is actually saying, I think he touches on something about our attitudes to marriage that changes absolutely everything. Now remember again the context. Paul has been asked whether people should stop getting married, stop having sex, and even get divorced because all those relationship stuff are a little bit less spiritual. Listen to what Paul says, verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 7. If they can't control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this command, not I but the Lord, a wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and her husband mustn't divorce his wife. What Paul is saying is this. Remember the context. Being married or not is not the big deal. If you want to get married, go on then. If you don't, fine. But don't blame Jesus for your decision. And this is helpful, I think, because Paul simply highlights that marriage is both more important and less important than we might think. For those of us who have bought the myth that somehow you have to be married to be fully human or complete in life, Paul radically disagrees. And again, I am so sorry if things have been said to you, about you, or done to you that has given that impression. For Paul, marriage is not that important. 
In fact, Paul makes pretty clear there are some massive benefits to not being married. In a sense, marriage, if you like, is less important than our society makes it. One author has noted that what's happened in our society is that what we've done is we've walked away from God and created another God. Marriage, romance, sex. The God that is a trillion-dollar industry that's somehow conveying the message that there is a perfect partner, a perfect marriage, a perfect person. It's an obsession. And in a sense, we have an idealized image of marriage. And we lay on a person that they've got to be our best friend, our soulmate, our lover, our teammate, our spiritual guru, a confidant, a business advisor, a tech guru, a childhood expert, finance buff, a mentor, a coach, on and on and on. Friends, no one person can carry that weight. Don't compare the problems that you do know in your own situation with those massive problems that you aren't aware of if your situation was different. And can I say, for those who are very aware of your own failings in this, well done. Well done for keep trying to be faithful with your frailty with those areas that you know you fall so far short. Paul knows that marriage is a wonderful gift, but a terrible God. I love this quote. George Luis Borges, the Argentinian poet, said, to fall in love is to create a religion that has a fallible God. In one sense, marriage is less important If you make it a God, it will destroy you. If you idolize and obsess your partner into being this savior, they will only let you down. There is one savior, the king above all kings. Uh, But in case we misunderstand him here, friends, he also knows that marriage is more important than perhaps we might make it. Because in this context, some people were clearly just wanting to walk away from their marriages because they were somehow less spiritual than the kind of important stuff of following Jesus. And almost as if they viewed it as being less godly. And when you read verses like 29, look at this verse. We thought about having this on the screen as people came in and as people began the service today. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Verses like that have been ripped out of context and have been badly abused by people who've therefore said, so therefore I'm going to treat my spouse in a certain way because I'm following Jesus, abandoning them to the God of ministry or whatever it might be. And if you just read on, we're not going to read it now, I haven't got time, to verses 32 to 34, you make it really clear that Paul isn't saying what we might think he's saying. Paul is simply saying that because of Jesus, it changes how you live in your marriage. So it's not a just simply disposable thing. Rather, live as a believer in Jesus in your marriage. And he makes this clear in verses 14 to 16. Here they are on the screen. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife. And the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. 
Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they're holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister's not bound in such circumstances. God's called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? How do you know, husband, whether you'll save your wife? What he's simply saying is this. Marriage is not a God, but it is a gift from God. And within that marriage, then live as a believer, and you never know the impact. Not through badgering or becoming super spiritual by simply trying to follow Jesus faithfully yourself. And in passing, can I touch on something as sensitively as I can? For those who either are married or have been married, where your spouse is not a follower of Jesus, I think Paul's words are hugely freeing here. You never know the impact you may actually have had or may be having. (laughs) But I know there may be one or two people for whom it's been so tricky that their spouse has walked away and you feel a weight of shame. And today, Paul says, be free. Friends, you're not alone. There's grace. There is hope for all of us. Paul seems to be suggesting that part of the importance of marriage is precisely that it changes us. Because you have to live with somebody different. You have to live with somebody with different desires and different attitudes. And therefore we have to learn to forgive and to be forgiven. And as we learn not to get what we want, we grow. We are, quote, sanctified. God may be doing his deepest work in us precisely because marriage is so hard. It's not something you put on the fridge. In essence, part of the gift of marriage is that it's so hard. I love these words from American poet Amanda Gorman. Love it. And yes, we are far from polished, far from pristine, but that doesn't mean we're striving to form a union that's perfect. We're striving to form our union with purpose. So may I humbly ask you, what do you expect from a spouse, whether you are married or not, what do you expect from a spouse that frankly is unrealistic? What things may actually need to come from friends or ultimately from God himself? And I wonder if the pandemic has added to the pressure on this because for almost two years, we've had to, for those of us being married, Be proximate to this one person all the time without any other contact. No wonder it's been hard. And for others, they've not been able to be proximate with other friends or wider family. And no wonder it's been hard for them. Jesus changes how we see all of this. Changes how we see sex, not about me. Changes how we see marriage. And thirdly and finally, as we come to a close... Not only does it change our view on sex and our attitudes to marriage, it changes our posture within marriage too. We read it earlier, but verse 17, I think, is the summary verse. Here it is again. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. Whatever your situation, if you're a follower of Jesus, live as a believer in it. And he says two things. 
the Lord has assigned to them and has called you. I can't help wondering that if our marriages would be radically changed, if we saw them more as a calling than a destination, a responsibility than a right. If you like, marriage is a journey with fellow travelers, not a destination. One author puts it like this. Marriage is a promise of future love rather than a declaration of present love. Love that. As we come to a close, I love this cartoon that's on the screen. It's by a French cartoonist, Marianne Foyel. I think it gets to the heart of so much of what Paul is saying. It points out the unfinished, incomplete, inadequate nature of every single person in marriage, including your spouse and including you. It also highlights the ideal of everyone's marriage partner is a fantasy created by you. And thirdly, it points out that part of the purpose of marriage is actually building the other person into wholeness rather than on relying on them for wholeness. So may I ask you today, friends, may I ask myself too, what does it mean for us to live as believers in our marriage? What does it look like to live as believers in our singleness? What does it look like for believe, to live as believers in whatever situation we are in? As we close, some of us, you may know that to live as a believer, the call today is to put your spouse first more than you are doing. For others of us, you know that what it means to live as a believer is to forgive your spouse as Christ forgives you. For others of us, you may know it means to say sorry to your spouse with their forgiveness offered to you. For others of us, it may be to seek help because you know you don't need to be strong anymore because none of us are strong. That's what it means to be a believer. For others of us, it may be simply to experience the grace and hope and love and freedom. No shame because of your past. That's what the gospel extends to you. For others of us, we feel that if only people knew or somehow your circumstances, your divorced past, whatever it might be, somehow you feel that you don't belong or you don't fit in. This morning, Jesus says, you are free, forgiven, whole. For others of us, we simply need to hear the words of the lover of our soul, my child whom I love. That's what it means to be a believer. And for all of us this morning, whether we feel comforted or challenged this morning, my hope is that all of us hear that gentle whisper of our Savior saying, come on, you're loved by the King above all kings. Put one foot in front of the other. Let's keep going. Let's live as believers in the King above all kings.